Welcome to the Limitless Millennials podcast with your host, Hannah Morth. In each episode, we'll bring you stories of inspiration and risk-taking, extraordinary entrepreneurial journeys, often with a dash of spiritual goodness, and tangible action steps to show you how you can create your limitless life. Now, here's your host, Hannah Morth, personal business coach, public speaker, and author. Hello, everybody. My name is Hannah Morth, and I'm here today with Val Sloan. From an early age, Val has been a coach, camp counselor, Girl Scout leader, nanny, and that led to a career track that as a graphic design professor. Her philosophy for life and creativity, getting lost, happy accidents, the art of accidental adventure, is integrated into why she has become a coach. A deeper desire for deeper impact, deeper meaning, and a deeper connection, not only with people, but with the natural world, has instigated her to walk away from a tenured professorship in 2018, one of those jobs where people work in one place until retirement, which is not necessarily good. Like many people, she's realized that she has been in one of those career HOV lanes that has limited exit ramps. So now she's decided to make her own exit so she can work with more people in a more rewarding way as your creativity coach. Awesome. Hey, Val, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so excited to talk to you yes, about I'm, this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited to, to hear about your story and to learn from you. So why don't we go ahead and get started and have you talk to us more about what it is that you currently do? Yeah. So in June, I walked away from my career, as you mentioned, as a professor, which I was doing for more, almost the last 20 years. So right now I'm feeling a little bit in the limbo mode because for the last 20 years, every fall I've been in a classroom environment. So this summer I went full time out on my own um, as an entrepreneur. And a few years ago, I made this decision. So it took me about three years to actually be able to walk away from the job. And I'm still at the point where I'm working on getting, um, you know, stable and a client base. Um, Mm -hmm. But basically the premise is that as a graphic designer, I was really interested in having um, a live workspace, uh, living in a r- more rural environment instead of an urban environment. And uh, we'll get to this later, but when I was contemplating what else I can do with my life, um, you know, living on a, like a farm with animals is something that I realized I needed to do. Um, so I have 17 acres. I'm um, a about two hours southwest of Nashville, and that ex- that kind of live workspace has expanded to be um, uh, several components. One of which is a um, kind of a artist retreat, creativity retreat center. So I have multiple dwellings um, that I can host uh, artists, writers, um, anyone, digital nomads. Uh, from a week to several months so that they can work on uh, their projects, whether it be someone who does something um, on kind of as a passion project um, and they're part-time or they, they do, you know, the, that for a full-time position. Um, in addition to 
having um, the kind of farm to table type of experience um, so that I can host workshops and women's retreats, um, also targeting quilters, um, people who are into crafts. So I'm really interested in um, reinforcing the handcraftedness of, of life and providing an opportunity for people to get off grid and kind of back to nature and put away the cell phone and, you know, talk to people over dinner. So that is the primary component of it. And then the secondary element is to transform 20 years of teaching graphic design into a coaching and consulting business, as well as doing freelance to try and get, get some money in. I also became passionate about uh, pottery within the last year. So my goal is to try and raise some money um, over the coming months to expand my studio space to have um, a pottery um, access with a kiln and a wheel so that I can also offer that as workshops. Um, so some of the different types of, of groups that I'm looking to work with are even like homeschoolers. Um, to corporate environments where people are looking for um, professional development for their, you know, for their team type of thing. Oh, awesome. I love that you're creating like a community. It almost seems like for maybe the people who are staying there for an extended time, it's almost going to be like a small extended family. Exactly. Exactly. I was very isolated for um, pretty much a decade. Um, before I was, you know, got to the point where I had to figure out another option. And one of the things that I realized is that I was a very social person in my past and in my position where I was, that I just recently left, I was becoming more and more isolated because of the, of a hostile work environment. Mm. And one of the things that I really wanted to do was to create a safe environment and a community of people who, um, you know, can, can go away to, and into the various corners of, of their minds or, you know, the physical space, and then maybe come together for dinner and have dinners together. So I just really kind of yearned for that type of, um, experience for myself and I feel like other people are looking for that too and I just I just decided that it was time for me to try and make it happen for myself and whoever else I, I meet. <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs and especially digital nomads are looking for because when you especially when you're traveling you are, you're alone all the time. And so finding right. a place where there's going to be a community and people to talk to that are, that are like-minded is really going to be important to them. So, and it's in, it's in a uh, Tennessee, which is gorgeous. I haven't been there in a couple of yeah. years, but when I was there, I remember thinking, I think it was March that I was there. Uh, I remember thinking that it was so green, like everything was so pretty and green and I'm in Wisconsin. So in March, everything was still like snowy and brown. Um, yeah. so, such a beautiful place to be. It is so green. And I've been to Ireland and mm -hmm. I would say this Ireland in the green factor. <laughs> and it also, you know, I wanted something that had seasons so that you could experience the change of seasons and all of that kind of connection to mother earth and the, the, the cycles of, of life. Um, 
but I didn't want a, you know, dramatic winter, right? Mm -hmm. So in February, the daffodils start popping up here. So it's, it's, it's a lovely um, visual, you know, with, with nature. And, and I lived in Nashville for six years before I moved away for this other job and something just keep kept coming, you know, kept me coming back. Mm -hmm. um, so I was trying to figure out what my next step in life was if I was walking away from my job where I wanted to go. And it was basically Tennessee. Oh, so man. that's kind of what precipitated it. And I found the property by um, searching online, you know, which you couldn't do 20 years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So cool. So on that note, why don't we kind of delve into your past a bit and can you talk to us more about how it is that you got to where you are today? Yes. Awesome. Um, so, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time reflecting upon this um, more lately than, than in the, in the, in the distant past, but um, kind of in a, in a short way, I was the type of Gen Xer who, um, loved being in school and was always told, you know, you're going to college, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I was that kind of, uh, okay, I'll do business because I don't really know what else to do to go to college. And then I met people my freshman year who were doing graphic design. I'm like, wow, this is what is this? This is what I really love. And I didn't really understand what graphic design was, but I had been, um, someone who was like on the yearbook staff and I did photography and I was, it just made, it just connected all the dots of things that I loved. Um, so I did, I pursued that in my undergrad. And then when I got out of school, I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of describe my life has been like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing and I'm just taking the next step to do what's expected. I, I went to college because that's what I was told by my parents I needed to do. And I kind of figured things out and I enjoyed the college experience immensely um, and made a lot of friends that way. And then when I got out of, got out of college, I had no idea what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. So I did the typical like move home and ended up finding a job like in the classifieds. Um, that was 1990. <laughs> so, um, and then I started working in a, in a, in an office and I'm like, I don't really like this. And people were pretty disrespectful in that they didn't really understand what I was doing as a graphic designer. It was, um, you know, what are you doing over there with your crayons and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I had to stay in that job because of a medical situation where I needed surgery. So again, you know, Gen Xers, we've kind of gone this, this tract of like doing what's expected of us and kind of sticking with something because we're stuck in a situation. Mm -hmm. um, so I was able to leave that job eventually and I started freelancing um, and I made more money freelancing than I, in like four months than I did in the year that, that you know, the five year, you know, every year, the annual salary of this job that oh, wow. was miserable. Um, and then I got an opportunity to teach at my alma mater. So I jumped on that and I moved back to the little college town and I kind of really fell in love with the interactions with students, even though I was really close in, close in their age. Um, 
so again, I'm like, okay, well, if this is what I'm going to do with my life. I need to go back to school. So in the late nineties, I went back to school and got my MFA and I did that over three years driving 75 miles each way. So I commuted from St. Augustine to Gainesville cause I'm crazy and I didn't want to move to Gainesville. I still had the job at the college part-time and I just liked where I was living and I didn't want to move again. So anyway, so I did that for three years and then um, the, the way to get a job in teaching is, um, it's only once a year. They basically have a call for applications and you put together your resume and a bunch of slides and you send your stuff out to like 10 jobs or a hundred jobs mm -hmm. and you might get a call back or you might not. So it's a really weird, vicious kind of cycle where um, you have to go where the job is and you can't necessarily just like walk away in the middle of something if you don't like it because you're under a contract. And then they kind of dangle this carrot in front of your, your eyes of like tenure and like benefits and all these things. So because I really loved the interaction with people and I loved the discipline of graphic design, I, you know, kind of basically now I describe it as this HOV lane. I got in this HOV lane and I was working in this um, environment. So I got a teaching job at my alma mater and that my other alma mater, my grad school alma mater. And then in 2001, I had a full-time offer uh, in Nashville. So I moved to Nashville, sight unseen, didn't know anybody. Um, and I was there for six years and the first two years were great. And then I started to figure out that something was going, something was wrong. There was some sort of nefarious things happening. And basically I describe it that my colleague who was a male would cancel classes and take the pretty girls to lunch. If you know what I mean. Oh, oh yeah. So I couldn't figure out why I was getting my first semester, like really nasty evaluations from students. And they didn't know, um, you know, the seniors didn't know, didn't have the skills that they should have at the senior level. Mm -hmm. So it took me a few years to piece together the, what the scenario was. And um, basically the, the department had hired this person to teach a drawing class as a professor and the other people in the department didn't get along with him. And he had a bachelor's degree in graphic design. So they said, Oh, why don't you build this program? So he didn't have a master's degree. So I had a higher, you know, I was the only one that had the, the required credentials. Um, but he was like, not necessarily my boss, but a superior, right? Mm -hmm. So um, after the two years, he became my boss. So I went from kind of um, extraordinary exemplary in all of the reviews to like below standard. Um, so the, the next level boss was a woman and she couldn't understand why I had so many problems and she blamed it on me being a woman and that I was vindictive and all these things. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So eventually it kind of came out that he was having kind of inappropriate conduct with students. Um, that was back 
when MySpace and Facebook was um, just starting. Facebook was Facebook started as the college only um, environment. You had to have a .edu address to join Facebook, and the students there were very. Um, uh, they, they didn't have boundaries. So this person would spend all of his extra time on his laptop in the labs and like making friends with all the girls. Um, and it was a private Christian school. So there was uh, maybe one male out of 15 students every semester, every year. Um, so primarily, you know, young women who come from very sheltered environments, thinking that this guy is just their friend right. um, but they weren't learning anything so I was I was basically pushed um, my dean ref refused to support my tenure application so after two years I kind of forced the issue and that's when a lot of the stuff kind of had come out about his um, inappropriate conduct with students and how they would be like um, messaging him um, in my class on Facebook and MySpace saying, hi, I'm in Val's class. Um, I hope I get an A in your class. And he'd be like, yeah, way to go. Or, you know, quit, quit Val's class and come to mine, stuff like that. Oh my God. Um, so my, the Dean and the provost denied me tenure um, and told me that I needed to learn how to um, balance rigor with nurturing and my colleagues said, you know, if you were a man, they would never tell you that, right? So out of desperation, I found another job in Rhode Island at a uh, small private school that was not religiously affiliated. And I was really excited about the opportunity. So I picked up, moved my life, left all my friends behind, and started over in Rhode Island. And within two years, this even worse happened. Um, so this was a, a female colleague who um, was bullying not only myself, but students, uh, faculty, staff, administrators. And it took a while for me to figure out what was going on. And, um, you know, being a researcher and someone, I, I like bought books. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I bought a book about like, um, you know, how to handle the bully in your office or something, how to manage the bully in the workplace or something like that. And, sure. you know, calls my mother and stuff about like, what is happening? And I gained weight and I, I didn't know it. I, I realized now that I was probably really depressed mm -hmm. and could hardly get out of bed and, you know, barely made it to work. Um, it really affected my mental health and my interest and ability to get out and even socialize. So like I mentioned earlier, I just became more and more isolated. So about the fifth year, no, fourth year, uh, no, third, fourth, she knew, she knew that I was going up for tenure in my fifth year. So in the fourth year, she was really trying to get me fired and really, um, trying to, you know, ruffle the feathers, so to speak. So she, there was a lot, of, there was like a threatening, uh, a meeting where there was like physical threats made. And when I walked down the hall to report this behavior to the administrator, <clears throat> shaking, totally shaking and like crying mm -hmm. and telling this woman that she needed to do something about it. The first thing the lady said to me was that I probably should look for a new job. And that this other person was tenured and that I was 
talented, I'm still young enough, and that, you know, I should reconsider my life there. And I said, no, that, like, I deserve to be here. And, you know, after like 30, 40 minutes, she just, her advice was to go home and take a bath and drink a glass of wine. Um, so that led to many hours over several years of writing lots of letters and complaints. And um, the university opened up a, uh, an investigation based on my complaints that unveiled all of these other allegations. And they had a hearing, uh, there was a union involved so they had a hearing kind of and this she refused there's a lot of other things so i don't want to waste the time of your podcast talking about all of these things but <laughs> yeah i mean like it, it's a at first i thought i was in a lifetime movie and now i'm like it was a saga you know like yeah. like chronicle yeah. <laughs> chronicle but anyway um so i sat through this eight hour evidentiary hearing with the university lawyer the union lawyer, 10 witnesses, and this woman didn't have the guts enough to show up and face people that were accusing her of all of this really horrible behavior. And especially the students, because she would, she would attack them and, um, and humiliate them in front of a lot of people. So oh, um, that led to a uh, two-week suspension because it was uh, she was smart about what she was doing and um, she would make friends with the presidents and there was a new president and just been hired. And he's like, I don't understand why this woman hasn't been progressively disciplined. So she was uh, suspended for two weeks, which led to a series of, um, of uh, like lawsuits and stuff. So she filed three different lawsuits in the multi-million dollars against various people, including the union, which gave her a five-year buffer to just go to work a couple of days a week and not do anything. So I was constantly told, um, you know, you just need to learn how to get along and, um, you know, what's wrong with you? It's your fault. And I'm like, I'm the one that's in the room. She can't show up, you know, mm -hmm. and had to be subjected to a lot of um, copying the president on emails. And um, she was supposed to recuse herself on my tenure committee. Well, they took her off my tenure committee and then the union put her on the tenure committee saying it wasn't fair for someone to um, be uh, removed from a, a, an elected committee position so she didn't recuse herself and then that was you know more letters of like defending myself um, because she got people to vote against me um, but in essence I, I received tenure but things didn't get better um, to the point where I another administrator was hired put into a room with this person and you know she was kind of the typical um, a person who would call other people incompetent because she just didn't, you know, have, she was able to kind of have this persona as an independent faculty member. And then as a second person, I think that I, to her, I was exposing a lot of her weaknesses and she was upset that I was friendly with students and all sorts of things like, you know, not putting flowers on the table for events and weird stuff like that. Um, so there was this meeting that happened and, you know, she let me go first. And then when she started talking, she started disagreeing with me and 
saying, you know, basically making up stuff like things happen without her permission and all the stuff. And I just, I called her out in front of this administrator and I, I said, that's not true. That's a lie. You know, that's not true. This is what happened. And in the middle of that, she just got flustered and she said, I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to be treated like this. And in a very like crazy <laughs> uh, vocal tone and then got up and stared at me like she wanted to shoot me and like oh walked out. And the administrator basically told me that it was my fault for um, ruining a perfectly good meeting. So that was basically, I walked out of that and I said, I can't do this anymore. I've got to figure something else out. Um, so that's when I started having conversations with myself um, on my commute. And I just started saying, what was the little girl? What did the little girl want? What did the inner kid in me want that maybe got deferred or got like, um, you know, put pushed aside because of societal norms or or just kind of following a path that I didn't really understand I needed to do so when I started thinking about my strengths and weaknesses I'm like Val you give advice to students every day for the past 20 years about how to build a set of goals you know like how to figure out what you're going to do after class. like that's what I was mm -hmm. doing I was talking to people <laughs> for 20 years about like, don't make the mistakes I made. And you know, you make, you need to make some goals and you need to establish your strengths and weaknesses. So I finally started saying, stop, you know, like Val, like I started kicking myself <laughs> going like, you need to start listening to your own advice. So I, I basically kind of mentally made up a, a set of strengths and weaknesses. And I kind of like made a, made a vision. I didn't make a vision board, but I made a vision in my head of like, okay, what is, what is this like dream life look like? And I love animals and, and cats like follow me around wherever I go. I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, I'm just going to, you know, like I don't, I'm not going to, the stereotypes or whatever, like that, I don't care about that anymore, you know? Um, and being a Girl Scout, like I mentioned in my bio, like I love camping and I love being outside and I have all of these skill sets. What am I doing wasting my time and energy in, a, in, in an institution that really could care less about my health and well-being, much less the clients that I'm recruiting to come in the door and to pay forty or fifty thousand dollars a year to be subjected to this student, to this person's behavior, you know. So I basically just told them I was not going to participate in that type of activity. That it was morally, ethically wrong for me to do that until they managed the situation, and they finally got rid of her, and they still didn't hire anyone to help me. So I'm like, all right, that's a big red flag. These people don't care about me. Mm -hmm. um, I need to create a life that is um, valuable for myself and build it, they will come type of thing. So soon after that meeting and that conversation with myself, it took about a month. I'm like, okay, this is what it would look like. It would be like work, I could do workshops. You know, I kind of just had this, like I said, this vision board. I'm like, I need a garden and I need a certain amount of acreage. And then that's when I started to get online and look for property and really evaluated where I wanted to live for the rest of my life. Like if I'm making this move again, um, moved around a lot as a kid. We moved around every two years until I was 13. 
and then moving, you know, moving for college back, like into apartments and just constantly moving. I'm like, I may, I want to stop moving and I want to have a home base and I want to be a digital nomad when I can. I want to do curated travel experiences. I have all sorts of facets to my um, kind of wonder wandering brand that I'm creating. Um, and I found this property listed south and southwest of Nashville. And at the time, I still owned a house that I had to keep my house in Nashville, which was my first house that I had ever bought, um, to be able to afford to live in Rhode Island. I had to have the extra income from a rental property to be able to buy a house up there because I thought I was going to live there for 30 years. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I found this property and I'm like, you know what, I want to move back to a different climate and a creative community and Nashville is just a booming city and, you know, I'm, I'm relocating and starting over, but not quite starting over, you know, start, I still have a connection to a little bit of a community. Um, so, yeah, so that was three years, three, almost four years ago this month, um, and then I took a sabbatical. So um, my first ever sabbatical um, was basically, you know, I'm thinking, I, I give the advice of like, when you have a job, the best time to look for another job is when you have a job, right? So they're paying right. me to like, do all these other things. So I had this sabbatical. So the timing was really appropriate for me to um, take, I had nine months off. So that meant um, doing my research project, which was my sabbatical commitment. But I spent three months uh, down here in Tennessee just um, working on the property before I, it was like a lease purchase agreement, which is a whole nother podcast of like how I managed all of this and financially. And <laughs> yeah. It's just been really crazy. Um, I still don't know how I'm doing it. Uh, but I've been, you know, just scraping, scrapping. Um, I even got, um, I was hosting two girl, two Chinese high school girls for an academic year just to have, make some extra money um, to be able to pay the bills and, and yeah. qualify, you know, loan and stuff. So, yeah, so then um, it was, I did it really on the down low and I didn't tell my job. And because basically uh, what happened at that point was I pushed for this kind of external review um, which hadn't happened in like 10 years and it's supposed to happen every four years for the programs. And while I was on sabbatical, the reviewer's report came back and ultimately it said he had never seen anything, never seen so much dysfunction in 25 years and that he recommended that the program shut down or radically change. Oh, wow. And yeah. And they wanted me to like come back from my sabbatical and like have a meeting with this crazy person. And I'm like, I'm on sabbatical. Why don't you just get rid of me? give me a severance and I'll walk away. And they're like, Nope, you owe us two years. <laughs> Cause that's the agreement of, you know, the benefit. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't leave. So I'm like, all right, well, I don't have to be good at what I do. <laughs> I just have to show up, you know, I've got tenure. Um, all right. I'll, I'll pay you back over two years time. I'm not walking away owing this place money. Mm -hmm. um, so over two years, I basically every weekend and holiday and summer break I had I drove 1100 miles 1200 miles each way and was working on the property and found caretakers in between people to house sit and stuff like that 
Um, and then things didn't get better at the job and they didn't hire anyone. So I said, all right, it's time for me to do this full time. And I resigned, officially resigned last summer, effective this summer. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I was still kind of working on website and kind of promotional and advertising and, and that type of thing. So sure. it's been a little bit harder to kind of get things going than I thought it would be. I just, there's just, I need 30 hours in a day. And <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's kind of the nutshell. <laughs> wow. What a powerful story you have. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really important to point out is that a lot of us, and this is like Gen Xers, millennials, like any generation, this is something that any of us can experience is that sometimes we get stuck in these hostile environments and we feel like we are stuck and that we don't have any other options because, you know, we went to school for this degree. And so we have to, you know, to do that corresponding position, we have to have that corresponding position or we sign on with this job and there's a contract and we have to fulfill that contract or, you know, we just feel stuck for whatever the reason is, but yeah. you know, just doing what you can to get out to like find another path for you to go down. Um, I also love that you, looked into your inner child to really, yeah. to really get a sense of what, you know, she wanted you to be doing. Maybe those, those, uh, childhood dreams that you had that you forgot about or, um, yeah. pushed off the radar, uh, really bringing those back to life because that's ultimately what's going to make you really happy. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that I didn't have the mentorship or the, the, the networking or even just like, I couldn't visualize what I'm doing now 20 something years ago, mm. but I feel like it's what I'm meant to be doing. So I feel like even though all of the crap that I've had to deal with in the professional career, I'm grateful for all of the experiences, whether they were positive or negative. Yeah, definitely. All right. It is time for the lightning round. So oh, I have okay. a couple of questions for you. My first is, what is your best piece of advice for entrepreneurs who are just getting started? I think that it's going to, it takes much longer than you think. Mm. Yeah. So being realistic about the time it's actually going to take you. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah, I definitely I mean, feel I'm, like I'm four years in. I'm four yeah. years in and just, just left the job and I'm still don't have a regular income yet. Yeah. I'm and I mean, to... with that, just like being okay with how long it's going to take you. Cause yes, of course, like once you have the idea and it, it really lights you on fire, you want it to start working immediately. You want to start, you know, you want to be able to quit your job and be doing that full time and be making yeah. a consistent income off of it, but that's not always how it goes. So being okay with how long it takes you and just know that, you're working as hard as you can and it's going to come. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And focusing, you know, spending the quality time on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My second question for you is what is your favorite personal development or entrepreneurial book or other resource that you like to recommend to others? Um, lately, I really like big magic just because it talks about kind of energy and idea, how ideas are formed. And um, as a creative person, it was, um, it, it was, it was nice to read. 
There's another one also called Life Reimagined. Actually, it's sitting on the bookshelf that I'm looking at right now. Life Reimagined, um, The Science, Art, and Opportunity of Midlife by Barbara Bradley Haggerty. So that one is a little bit more um, written, more like a, uh, like a Gladwell book uh, where she does re uh, interviews and stuff like that. So um, my goal was... Uh, I turned 50 this summer. So I told myself I was not going to live and do that job mm -hmm. after 50. So that was my thing. So yeah, life reimagined. Oh, awesome. Uh, we'll make sure that the links to those books are in the description of this yeah. episode. Um, so everybody can yeah. check those out, but I will also be checking them out myself because I haven't heard of either of those. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> my third question for you is what habits have you developed along your journey that have led to, to your success or to where you are today? I think that um, when I took my sabbatical, I realized that I have been an insomniac probably my entire life. Um, and part of that was perpetuated by being in the hostile situation mm -hmm. where I was having a lot of bad dreams and things like that. So now that I actually, um, I started sleeping eight hours a day and I get up and I'm, I force myself you know, I have dogs and animals and stuff. So I think sleeping is really the biggest thing that was the challenge for me. And um, I bought a, a, a Bella Beat leaf, not a Fitbit, but a different option so I can wear it um, while I'm sleeping. And it kind of tracks my like sleep patterns if I'm really restless or um, I'm, I'm getting deep, deeper sleep. That for me, I think is the most sleep. And I tell students that too. Mm -hmm. sleeping and eating <laughs> healthy, right? Like the brain cannot function if it doesn't have enough sleep. So you can't give your all to your passion project and your job and your family and your, all these other things if you're not sleeping well. Mm, I totally agree. You definitely have to find a balance in there. Um, yeah. People talk about self-care. My self-care is often like napping or just making sure that I can get ample sleep that day. Or that night. Yeah. Yeah. Super I mean, the brain is a machine. So um, I think that's, for me, that's the most important thing. And that's the advice I give my students all the time, mm -hmm. every day, the first day of class, get sleep. Don't worry about your projects. Get sleep. <laughs> your projects. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. Even awesome. if it's napping, you know, whatever yeah, it may be. For sure. I love that. My fourth question is, if you could have dinner with anyone, entrepreneur or not, alive or dead, who would it be? Oh, gosh. Um, that is a good lightning rod question. <laughs> it it, it uh, either stumps people or they know it right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because like, oh, gosh, I am not sure who I would say. I mean, the, I mean, a cliche would be like Oprah just because she's so like... I, I just, her voice, like her voice, and she's just so inspiring as a yeah. mentor type of person, as an entrepreneur. And, you know, I used to watch her all the time. Um, I think that she, she would be amazing. Um, yeah, or maybe someone who's kind of like a, uh, like a health, health and wellness type of person. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think I'll just do the Oprah for now, <laughs> just because I think that she, how she found her career and 
the struggles that she went through and how she's inspired people and, you know, made, made an amazing life. Um, and then also quit her job. Right. Mm-hmm. And is doing something different. I think the career shift thing, like nobody wanted her to leave right. what she was doing, you know? So I think it'd be fun to sit down with her and have dinner. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm sure she has really incredible stories to share. She would be able to yeah. teach you so much. Um, she would yeah. just be such an inspiration to talk to. I totally agree. Oprah would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my final question for you is how can our, how can our listeners follow and connect with you further? Yeah, that would be amazing. I would love to connect with anyone who's out there listening to this and my story, if my story resonates with them and they want to chat or, um, they're an artist or writer or what have you, or the entrepreneur digital nomads. I have, I have several websites. I'm a little geeky about that, that go kind of channel into my, into my space for different types of audiences. But the easiest one to remember is um, a Tennessee retreat.com a Tennessee retreat.com. And that has like pictures of the animals, pictures of the space, the philosophy, contact information, all that kind of stuff. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Val Sloan. Um, and then the, the umbrella is camp wonder wander. And that's also on Instagram. So, um, which is also a website, but that's more of like my workshops and stuff. So the, a Tennessee retreat is kind of the more generic, um, um, entrance into this space. Awesome. I will make sure that those links are in the description of the episode as well. Um, But apart from that, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Val, for joining us today, for sharing your story and your wisdom. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thanks, Hannah. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. I wish you good luck. Yeah, you as well. So everybody have a wonderful rest of your day and until next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Limitless Millennials podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and head over to iTunes to leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. And if you're looking to connect with Hannah or today's guest, head on over to www.limitlessmillennials.com. Until next time, friends, keep on living your limitless life.